can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that can't help but drool when it hears the words Boston Crab. What the, <laughs> hell is that? What the fuck is a Boston Crab? It's a wrestling hold. Oh. Episode 35, recorded April 2013, starts now. Mmm, <laughs> Yeah, I forgot the date. I didn't know you knew my ex-girlfriend like that, though. Seriously. No, I know her better than you know. Evidently. It's April the 28th, folks, just in case it matters to anyone. Yes, indeedy. In the in the future, when the archaeologists are using this as the only record of what humanity was like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either that or fodder for something. Okay. Well, folks, we've got uh, some sort of show planned for you today. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of show. We... <laughs> We, uh, we once again had a last-minute cancellation, so we're going shoulder-deep in the discussion topic bag, um, <clears throat> so we'll be talking about some stuff here. Um, also, we've got news, finally. Yes, we do. Uh, I watched Tai Chi Zero, so we're going to rap about that a little bit. Nicely done. I went to uh, World Tai Chi Qigong Day yesterday up in Athens, mm-hmm. Georgia. You, I, I can see by your aura that you had a good time. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> That's just I forgot to comb, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Never forget to comb, Craig. That's right. That's right. Shit, you haven't had a comb in what? (laughs) I don't have the hair for to use it, really. (laughs) You got a nice chamois, though. I do. I do chamois. Buff that puppy up. Hey, hey, don't talk. Yeah, so maybe before we uh, slip off into the champagne lounge and get our notes together for our discussion topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what World Tai Chi and Qigong Day was like? It was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> thanks, Dave, <laughs> for the, uh, for the warning. warning. <laughs> yeah, hey, me... this this is a no warning show we're doing today. Yes, I, I see that. Well, anyway, it's uh, it's an annual event. Um, it was held uh, just yesterday, but it's usually it's the last Saturday of uh, of April each year. To promote the related disciplines of Tai Chi uh, and Qigong in 60 countries around the world. Started back in 99, uh, really blew up in 98. I believe it was some weird place like Kansas City or somewhere where um, they had a big Tai Chi school, um, some university, and uh, uh, a couple of people talked about it, put it out in the paper and all that, and oddly enough, CNN showed up and uh, did a story on it. Uh, that year, and so that got them a huge publicity, and that's kind of how it it spread out around. But anyway, um, you know, I've I've done some Taiji, and I'm you know I'm a big fan of the art and all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, and I do various parts of Qigong, different styles of Qigong, and that kind of thing. So I was excited, and uh, Big Al, uh, Alan Carroll, our buddy, uh, who's been on the show several times, he went last year. And had some choice words to say about his experience last year, so I wanted to experience it for myself. Um, <clears throat> it was much more enjoyable than I thought it would, was going to be, uh, but they still have a lot of room uh, to grow for sure. Um, last year at this one in Athens, Georgia, evidently they were told no martial applications because this is a healing art, not a martial art. And uh, as you may well imagine, that ruffled some feathers of a lot of the people who wanted to demonstrate 
unfortunately, it didn't ruffle the feathers of enough people uh, at that time because a lot of the teachers were just te- teaching it as, you know, breathe in, breathe out, <laughs> slow fuel my energies. Yeah. You know, um, but this year, you know, uh, evidently somebody had... had Got the right person on the on the horn, and uh, there was some applications for uh, chin style practical method out there from our friends Carl and Todd and all that, um, and a lot of different qigongs that uh, got to see, and, and a couple of them I really enjoyed because uh, I had never seen a couple of these forms before, and I was you know asking them afterwards, hey, what was that? Where where'd you learn that? And all that good stuff. Um, saw a little bit of Xingyi. Um, saw some young style traditional um two man broadsword form you know kind of um attack and defense and all that kind of good stuff uh um, yeah i was you were surprised by the way their broadswords looked yeah that's was, right i was kind of surprised that you hadn't uh seen the tai chi broadsword before mm-hmm. a little goose quill kind of more straight sword with the with the s quillions on it yeah yeah that was that was new to me i'd i'd seen it like in movies and on tv and stuff but never Never had a chance to see one up up close before, so that was kind of cool. Um, and it, you know this thing called Bagua. They did a little bit of the Bagua up there, too, some mm-hmm. of the chimpan legs. Um, yeah, and it, so it was enjoyable, but there was definitely a frou-frou, you know, uh, feeling about the whole thing. Um, and at the end, it was like, let's send all of our loving energy towards the earth and heal the people of the planet. You know, and that, I'm not really, you know, that's a great, idea great thought you know the prayer or whatever but that's not what it i is, want out of my martial arts you know it, it's or, action that helps people on the planet not mm-hmm. standing in a circle staring at your belly button yeah sorry <laughs> or just even staring at the belly button of the hot chick across the circle you know yeah might be good for you but yeah it was it creeps her out and it doesn't do anyone else any good <laughs> So, <laughs> so yeah, it was fun, but uh, it, it's got a, it's got a ways to go. That's for sure. Yeah, I was busy and couldn't make it down there, and I've been having a little trouble with some of my Athens people anyway. I don't want to go into that <laughs> right now, but uh, again, I, it's it's not the spot for me. Apparently, I'm skeptical enough that I piss some of those people off just by being <laughs> <laughs> by being, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's like I. Now that they're showing applications and doing some more martial stuff with it, I think, hey, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. get out there, promote it. And let's, uh, you know, look at the. It's a martial art, exactly. And if you're not doing anything martial with it, then it's just an art, I guess. Yeah. You start stop calling it a martial art, and if you, and in my book, this is just my opinion. If yeah. you're going to call it a healing art, then you need some research to back up what it actually does. And so far, the research that has been done. Uh, the good research, you know, mm-hmm. the the better stuff points to it being beneficial, much like any other low impact exercise program right. would be for people. And that's not knocking it. No. If, if it's entertaining to you because it's a quote unquote martial art and that gets you to do it and you reap the benefits of low impact exercise. Then indeed it is, you know, but people make claims that go way above and beyond that. And, and those are usually the people, though, or that are also talking about the clouds and the fairy. And, you know, it usually right. comes as a big package of, of nonsense. And what really grinds my gears <laughs> is those tend to be the people in charge. Yep. Or yeah. at least the people making the most money and with the most students. Right. So I don't know. I throw my hands up in despair sometimes. 
Sometimes yeah. I just throw them up in the air and wave them like I just don't care. But yeah, but sometimes that's a good I title. throw them up in the air in despair because you do I care. care. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was cool. I got to say, um, the highlight for me was honestly I saw uh, this one group. Actually, the biggest group out there, you know, had a big school up there doing the slow young style tai chi. And to be honest. It, um, you know, I've seen better, uh, it wasn't horrible, but you know, all those people were older people. And so we're doing it for balance and social and yeah, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But the cool thing was I recognized the guy leading them. And afterwards I went over and I was like, do I look familiar to me, to you? And it hit me cause he was one of my first students like ever, you know, um, back when I was teaching Tai Chi up there, just as the marshal, I was like, I got tired of people doing Yang style Tai Chi, slow and cheesy, you know, play on words, but tai uh, cheesy. yeah, <laughs> but I was like, you know, Shaolin's just right down the road, literally geographically from the joint and, um, you know, from Chung village. Yeah. And you know, we've got all the same applications. Let me sh- show you how we do this stuff, you know, but, uh, so it was nice to see him. I hadn't seen him and, Jesus, over 20 years, you know. Um, so it was nice to see him. But, uh, yeah, that was that. Well, good. Glad you got out there for that. All right, folks. Uh, uh, we got the torrentials. It's a dark and gloomy day here in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, we moved the champagne lounge to the front porch. <laughs> so we're going to go out there and plug the leaks and take some quick notes. And uh, we'll be right back with the meat of the matter the rest of the show. That's right. I tell you what, Dave, while we were out there relaxitating and whatnot, I, uh, something hit me about World Tai Chi Day that uh, ticks me off. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you probably see me put a note about this uh, on a very specific thing a while back. <clears throat> All right, if you've been doing Bagua, let's say, for 10 years, and you still want to call it Pakwa, like I did before, I did it as a joke. But if you call it Pakwa and you're a Bagua practitioner, you need to be disbarred from that circle walking program. If you're doing Xing Yi for 10 years and you call it Xing Ai, you need to be disbarred. All right. Shaolin for Shaolin. All right. So what I'm getting to here is Tai Chi, when it was first brought over to the States, you know, it was still back in the Wade Giles pronunciation system. Um, Wade Giles. Wade Giles. 
Well, I don't use a system. I use pinyin. So right. Anyway, and so it's been still, you know, been spelled that way. You know, T A I and C H apostrophe I and C H apostrophe U A N or something like that. So everybody. Well, it's it's actually just C H I. If it was C H with the apostrophe, it would be pronounced Chi. Well, however they're doing it. But my point being is that everybody there, you know, is saying Said Tai Chi. Well, Tai Chi and Tai Chi Chuan. And, you know, I'm sorry, but if you go into, you know, speak to a Chinese person, you say, teach me Tai Chi Chuan. They're going to be like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Just just for the record, it's Tai Chi Chuan. Right, it's 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 J I. The C H I has nothing to do with chi, mystical energy, or whatever energy. That's the big thing. I mean, I mispronounce Chuan and Chin yeah, all the time, but uh, but it's it's G and not Chi. And see, that's people think Tai Chi is all about Chi, Chi, the, you know, <laughs> breath or air, mystical energy, or however you want to translate it. It's like, no, it's that's about not the, in the name yang. at all. No. Just for a little edumacation, uh, Taiji is actually the name of the diagram for yin-yang, you know, the little fishes swimming around each other. And that's what that means, Taiji's grand ultimate, you know, right. the polarity of opposites or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my little stint. I just had to rant for a minute. Okay. <clears throat> Got that out of your system? Yeah, yeah, somewhat. <laughs> go ahead and dredge it all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> pop that pimple <laughs> nice callback Dave Craig just had a blowout during the break I did indeed there was blood, blood and pus everywhere it was terrible oh, that's because you're such a teenager at heart yes indeedy <laughs> oh, let's get classical yeah okay so today we're just going to throw this out there and we're going to see you know what happens, but yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about classical weaponry, mm-hmm. why people train it, why they train it in the first place, why would they train it now, and uh, some of the ways it's filtered through martial culture, both traditional and even sporting to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it basically addressed why bother, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've definitely got some answers for that, but let's work our <laughs> way up to it. Okay, uh, let's start out with why. I mean, of course... Most classical weaponry, uh, especially the basics like you see in, in Chinese or Japanese art, sword, staff, spear, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, were developed as battlefield yeah. weapons. And uh, and at the time, they were state-of-the-art technology. Yeah, when they were using them, they they were modern you know, things, right, not right. classical. So, you know, it's it's not hard to figure out why these systems of training with these things came up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what people had to work with. I'm on my horse, and I need to find a way to poke this guy in the head, you know, without getting down off my horse and letting yeah. him chop me. And just as an aside, of course, you know, I mentioned Chinese and Japanese arts because that's what most people practice is leisure martial arts now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Western traditions uh, had oh, yeah. the exact same thing and the pretty much the exact same suite of rep- weaponry that mm-hmm. they practiced with. Just stylized differently a little bit, you know. Yeah. So, um, oh, excuse me. A little gas there, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I drank Maybe some this- water. I think that's what's... <laughs> yeah. I feel like Dean Martin. <laughs> this is water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Uh, 
So, you know, okay, we don't need to dwell very long on why classical weapons became classical weapons. <laughs> right. <laughs> Time moved on, and the weapons yeah. didn't, and we still do them. And, of why? course, you know, up through more modern times, uh, a lot of these weapons were still in use all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can. Uh, we're going to talk with a guest pretty soon about about one of these, at least, the Dadao, mm. was used up through, <clears throat> you know, World War II and even after mm -hmm. in China, you know, and lots of other weapons. Uh, you know, the knife, for instance, one of the oldest, you know, weapons back from, you know, obsidian and stone yeah. knives. Short blade. Is, is still something that you're liable to encounter on the street to this day. Not liable, most likely, if they, you know, couldn't afford a gun or got scared of it. Yeah, somebody's got a blade on them. Yeah, knives are still very common. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, all of that runs us up into uh, uh, the modern martial arts. Uh, you know, they uh, a lot of us have specialty weapons that go along with our styles, mm -hmm. right? Um, and usually these weapons, if you look at them close enough, they'll tell you something about the style. Oh, what they don't go circular in. on me. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I like where you're going with it. But I'll, I'll use an example from my own training: mm -hmm. Bogwa's little specialty weapon. Most people have seen them are deer horn knives. Most people have seen them. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, they're you know most people that if you're a kung like fu kung guy, fu, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, it's like a, a half moon on the front with another half moon on the back. And your hand holds it in the middle of minus that. one point, minus one point, and boy, don't get me started. I, <laughs> I hate those. Uh, <laughs> I hate those ones you see that have a little hook curling around right where it would poke you in your own wrist. I know that tells you that you can't really actually do the form if you have one of those. You're going to end up cutting yourself to shreds. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, that that can show you right there. I mean, we're just going to bounce around on this. So that right there can show you that a lot of weapons that were classical and utilitarian at one point have definitely lost some of their utility mm -hmm. uh, as they've been fancified. And, you know, some of the reasons for why they are the way they are get lost. Right. Um, but you take, you can take other things too. You look at uh, Japanese and Chinese arts, both have uh, varying heights of staffs, for example, um, Japanese uh, arts have really specialized in what they call, I think, the Jo. Like there's even style called Jobudo, you know, um, mm. short stick type training. Um, and then you have things that specialize, you know, t twist it into a modern, useful thing, canes, you know. And we mm -hmm. like to joke, you know, we have, uh, well, the chimpan laying, and, and in my system, we have an actual cane form, stuff like that. And in Tai Chi, people do some cane forms and. You see them come out and doing demos, and they always walk like they're elderly people, and it's a joke, and now look at my amazing form. And it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. People, even young people, have to use canes or crutches, you know, from time to time sure. when they get the leg broke or skiing accident, whatever. And there's a lot of cool little things because of the way there's holes and, and there's hooks and there's all kinds of wonderful things that can happen. But that's that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with that. Yeah. I mean, the the beauty of a cane is it's just because of the way modern society works, it's one of the few serious and, and a, you know, a good four foot long stick with a crook on the end of it is a serious weapon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the few serious weapons that you can carry with you anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can take it into court with all you have to do is affect a limp and you can <laughs> yeah. you can take a cane any bloody where you want on Onto the airplane the plane. on the. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, you know, it just blows my mind. People are so worried about somebody, you know, sneaking a pair of nail clippers onto a plane and trying <laughs> to take the plane over with it. I'm like, one guy with a cane could brain eight people before you mm-hmm. know, he knows what he's doing with it. Choke the fuck out of you and throw you. Yeah, before you can even reach for your nail clippers. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we are getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's start off with the first thing. Uh, why, you know, now that we've established what we're talking about when we talk about classical weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do schools still train them, especially traditional schools? Most traditional schools still have weapons in their curriculum. Yeah. So and sometimes they can be as many as 18, uh, or as few as four, or maybe even just one. Some traditional schools only focus on one weapon, uh, and that's kind of going outside, but there's some Chinese styles that do that, you know, uh, Wing Chun kind of specializes in only a very select few. Most people are familiar only the, with the the staff and the butterflies, the, the butterfly yeah. knives. Um, but then, like for example, in Northern Shaolin, we focus on the first four, which you know, uh, uh, what broadsword, staff, spear, and straight sword. But then we also have for auxiliary or extra training, a uh, bunch of other weapons, extra shit. Um, so there's a lot of different stuff. But yeah, why? Why? Well. Um, one is training with a weapon can teach you things that are harder to get empty handed. For instance, I'll point to, since it's Tai Chi world Tai Chi week here, there you go. <laughs> I'll point to chin style. They do a lot of pole work Yeah, and other style like Shing Yi does long spear. So you'll have, what you'll have are often modified weapons, mm-hmm. longer, heavier. Bagua uses, Sometimes really <laughs> large, heavy, uh, special Bagua knife. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and they do these because they're training certain aspects with them. You know, for instance, the pole shaking stuff is, is power training. I'm glad you said it. Yeah. I'm glad you're thinking whatever you're thinking. <laughs> um, but they can also teach, uh, extension, you know, distance timing, mm. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, it can it can stamp an art's origin to some extent to look at how whether they lean or not, even when they're doing empty-handed stuff. Because if you see a lot of leaning in the empty-handed stuff, that means this grew out of a weapons form. Mm-hmm. A lot of strictly empty-hand systems or wrestling or things like that, you don't see a ton of leaning unless and until you're in contact with somebody and then you're you know using your body weight for a throw or something right. like that. But, you know, if you lean a whole lot when you're hands-on, then people will take advantage of of your unbalance to to topple you, you know? Unless, for example, there are some that it's in their nature to lean. For example, just some wrestling styles, before you start off, you're doing that kind of crouch, you know, very grounded type thing. And that's there because they understand the structure of the lean. Um, in some movements, well, see that crouch is not really leaning in my book. You're you're hunched over, but you're still over your center. Yeah, it's of still proper structure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you know, if you see, uh, you know, an art that lean way out to throw a punch, mm-hmm. it's like okay, they took that straight from their weapons training because right. it's worth leaning if you get that you know, extra foot of reach with something sharp and pointy. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not as likely someone's going to grab it and yank you off balance with it mm-hmm. because it's sharp and pointy. Um, you know, so, uh, but then those styles have been modified too to be empty handed as well, because usually if they do, if they're 
empty-handed and they're leaning into the punch, they're wanting, they're asking for you to pull them off balance because they have something else they're going to follow up with, probably influenced by a previous weapon movement. Um, and where I'm coming from from this is like you were mentioning the the curvature of the um, Bagua knives and stuff like that kind of show you it's it's a Bagua you know weapon it's a Bagua style gives you that flavor. Same thing uh, for us in Northern Shaolin, a very first weapon that we use is uh, Piqua Dandao. It's a, um, a broadsword, a you know single edged, fat bladed you know broadsword heavy hacking material like a butcher might use but it's specifically out of borrowed from another style yeah yeah but it's it's drawn from a style called pigua or pequar um which is literally hanging thrust or for a lot of us other people uh like splitting the idea of splitting so you'll see in northern shaolin a lot of splitting type movements what we call bludos you know arm breaking type stuff where we use a lot of heavy hand things you know balance with light and that kind of stuff but that's one of the main influences from that broadsword heavy hanging thrust we call so yeah and uh you know again all these qualities like uh, sticking and distance and timing and spatial awareness training with weapons can really help you develop that because it's it magnifies it you yeah. know? positioning becomes even more important when you've got two people especially if you're using weapons of different length mm-hmm. so you know straight sword versus a spear yeah which i'll take the spear any day in yeah, that no encounter joke. a broadsword's a little bit different something True. something but <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in just a second or too. even one person empty-handed one person weapon yeah yeah so you know it, it makes you focus a lot more on on your positioning your distance your timing your you know um if i step off to the side enough to avoid a punch is that enough to avoid a sword thrust yeah, exactly <laughs> maybe not you know and even if it is could they just simply turn the wrist over and now the sword is horizontal and, and pivot their way to a draw cut yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you know it, it really can't help uh expand your view as a martial artist mm-hmm. even if it's something you don't ever plan on you know most people that train these things don't plan on getting in sword fights you know right. in public for real most of us not most all of, of us not, yeah some of us are secret ninjas that's right we're climbing the wall of your house right now <clears throat> but uh also power generation yeah well we touched on that already okay craig man you're losing your mind well, I don't think we said it. We we mentioned how heavy some of this shit can be with. I remember the pole shaking? Yeah, but we didn't say specifically power generation. Yeah, we did. All right. <laughs> well, twice makes it as good as um, That's right. Two we're times. we're going to stick this point in your head, power generation. But yeah, it's 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 one of the ways old schoolers would work out so instead of just lifting weights, you mm-hmm. could incorporate weight training and with the already natural movements and the skills you want to develop specifically for right. martial arts, you know? And it does. It, I like what you said about amplification of the reality of situation. If you're hand sparring, um, you know, or just working apps or fixed step push hands or uh, doing a, a match of grappling, whatever it might be, um, when somebody throws a hand at your face, you know, okay, I can block this, I can slap it out of the way, I can dodge, but somebody swinging a big-ass, you know, heavy stick at your head, you're going to be more on point, like, oh, shit, I need to do something, you know? Yeah. Then- <laughs> you're not going to X-block that baseball bat. <laughs> X-block. Now, unless it's Super Magic Dallas Powers. Well, then, yeah, you got that going for you, just fly away. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we stroll it, baby. But, you know, the thing, again, like, uh, you know, if you can, if you can take an eight-foot-long heavy 
not not a flimsy, but a heavy, a real wooden staff. That was his call out to the Wushu training weaponry <laughs> that we're not saying is classical in any way, shape, or form. And uh, and if you can by you know holding that thing against your hip and making a movement of your hip, if you can make the tip of that thing pop, mm-hmm. then. You've got serious power there, and it's the exact same hip motion you're going to use to throw a punch. Exactly. It's the same power generation thing that you're going to use when you're punching or, or winding up a kick or whatever. It's, you know. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I like is, uh, for example, touching on Big Al. Um, he teaches Shingy, as you all know. And a lot of times he'll um, not teach like spear form, but spear um, training. Use kind of spear, modified spears, if you would, for training a lot of splitting methodology because you got this heavy thing in your hand. You have to pick it up and then and then shove it down, you know, and have it boing, you know. Yeah. And not only do you have that in strikes and splitting and, and hitting and that kind of thing, but there's also, like you guys have in Shui Jiao even, this same concept of a, something, you know, a big stick but something heavy at the end of plucking that leg and making them do a flip over. You know, if you've done a single leg takedown, lifting that, you know, leg and that body weight and everything, proper body dynamics. If you don't have an extra person to play with all the time, a training implement like a classical weapon can greatly enhance your, you know, time. Yeah. Uh, Shui Jiao's got some fascinating strength building stuff, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of it doesn't center around weapons. It's, you know, no. stretch bands and, and cinder blocks. And I went out on a, on a limb there. Just, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that one with the, uh, you know, the tire and the, uh, the, the tire and a big pull out. Or, or of for instance, uh, probably a more on point example of what you're talking about is Indian wrestling with the clubs. Yeah, there you go. And those clubs are not really martial anymore. They've evolved into a, an exercise tool. Og and Grog can, have turned into Bill and Ted. Yeah, right. You could still bonk somebody with one, I'm sure, but they're <laughs> set up to be super heavy and you know, mm-hmm. bulb. They're like bowling pins. You know, they're fatter on on one end and and, go ahead and but great bulbous. shoulder development. Yeah, bulbous. I like it when he says bulbous. bulbous. Yeah, you see where I'm getting, folks. Beelza bulbous. Oh goodness. <laughs> So, all right, let's let's move on from this. Uh, all right. Because I think, you know, that fairly well covers why, just for training purposes, you would want to keep these things around in your dojo, dojang, or kung. Yeah. And then the, without, there's the pink elephant in the room that needs to be addressed is that, yes, there's the traditional element of simply tradition, paying homage to the tradition, and that's there, but it's not the main reason that we're doing it as students, per se. Um, you know, as teachers, we know the reasons why, and we also, you know, from a traditional aspect, it's part of the system. We got to do it, but there are very legit reasons too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, you can sort of break some of these weapons down. Let's go ahead and look at that into different categories. And we already sort of mentioned a lot of this came from battlefield weaponry. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, there are things like uh, when we just mentioned the staff versus straight sword, I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, give me the staff or the spear any day because I've got reach and leverage and power and straight swords are, you know, now there used to be battlefield versions of these things, but most of the That's ones we different. see in training nowadays yeah. are fairly light. They're dueling weapons, right? Light and short, and you need to pick your weapons wisely. Right. But, you know, there have been dueling cultures all over the planet that, mm-hmm. you know, could uh, get you in very serious trouble if you didn't know how to <laughs> yeah. rise to the occasion. How many somebody... movies have we seen? It's like, let's take it outside, brother. You know, yeah. 
Pick slapped your... in the face with the leather glove. Yeah, well, you can have the glove. I'll take the edge. A leather glove. <laughs> <laughs> you drink from this. A leather glove. <laughs> oh, oh, are you going princess? No, no, no. Which is uh, that one? It's uh, Sean Connery on Jeopardy, that old Saturday Night Live thing. Yeah, don't, don't know that one. I'll take the rapist for 200 <laughs> That's therapist. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> okay, enough of that nonsense. All right, so you got short weapons, long weapons, uh, range weapons, um, concealed weapons. Right, weapons. so you got your dueling weapons, which mm-hmm. tend to be lighter and often more heavily ornamented or better looking because they'd be worn out as part of fancy dress. So like, you know, uh, uh, the the typical one-handed uh Chinese martial arts sword you see now would fall into that category. It's not heavy enough to be a battlefield weapon. Right. Um, but, you know, for personal protection when you're out on the town, and it doesn't get too in your way when you're dancing, right? <laughs> <laughs> or like the Japanese guys, uh, World War II, you know, yeah, the last defense, they could use these things, but most of the time is ornamental and that kind of thing. The katana. And yeah. So, yeah. Well, even Civil War, man, we had we had guys walking around with swords, you know? Yeah, but back then it took you 30 seconds to a minute to reload your gun. So yeah, there were, you know. <laughs> and and they also had the guns with the sword on the end, you know. The bayonets, yeah. 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 I like it called better my way. But. Which, you know, in the early days of uh, of uh, modernization of a lot of uh, cultures' armies, like in China, you know, uh, the people who were designing bayonet routines were martial arts guys yeah. who knew how to use spears and swords and that sort of thing, and they would get them in. They're like, okay, help us out. Now we've got these rifles and bayonets. and you know, they Nationalist were- China, they trained Northern Shaolins, Liam Buchuan, man. Mm-hmm. See, I went chuan on you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's Liam Butch's Kern. Liam <laughs> <laughs> Um. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, personal protection uh, sort of stuff like knives, things that you could carry concealed, concealed mm-hmm. weapons. Those have always been popular and still are. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about what uh, is typically classified as a soft weapon. Like in Chinese arts, we have with uh, a nine-section whip type thing. And they're, you know, not very long each section. There's nine sections, but connected by little chains. And they can be folded up, and you can, you know, easily slip it under your sleeve or whatever and just whip that bad boy out. Not one of my favorite weapons and not something I'd want to do, but... You know. Well, it's one of those things like a pair of nunchucks. You know, if you haven't really done your time with it, you're just as likely to brain yourself. That's why with they it call them nunchucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> you better be all chuck, because if not, you can be nunchuck, brother. <laughs> um, you know, in the old days, there were a lot of uh, a lot of uh, thrown weapons. Oh yeah, everything from you know just basically steel shot or ball bearings mm-hmm. to darts and. Stuff like that. And there are still people that pursue that sort of stuff to this day. Oh, yeah. Uh, you might run across somebody that can throw a knife pretty damn well at 10 feet, you know. I think I've met one or two. <laughs> yeah. problem with throwing a knife is then you don't have it anymore, though. <laughs> I'm with you on so that. So unless you've got the bandolier of throwing knives on, it's not <laughs> such a great <laughs> option usually. Well, and there's, uh, there's another soft weapon that I've not really experienced in Chinese arts that may exist somewhere. Um, but I have seen in old some old traditional Japanese things is basically just the rope. Um, I forget what they call it, kapojutsu or something like that, where they have this kind of thing where they can use the rope in fighting, but also then tie your ass up, you know, wait for the authorities or whatever. Yeah. Hog tie your ass. You know? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a, a modern day American equivalent of that is whipping off your belt if you got a nice there buckle on it. And I think Jet Li did that one in one yeah. of his movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fist of Legend, actually. Yeah. For yeah. all you movie watchers out there, you can look that up. Well worth it. And um, if you're not a movie watcher, check out The Modern Century. Yeah. It's good for you. But we'll, uh, we'll cruise back around to improvised weapons here towards the end of this discussion. Um, so, you know, uh, one of the interesting things about classical weaponry is how different styles incorporated in their training mm-hmm. and what that kind of says about them. Like some of the more like legitimately going back a few hundred years, battlefield oriented arts that I've seen like Tong Ta with Kilton. Oh yeah. Uh, they teach empty hand, but they almost teach it as an afterthought right. because the system was constructed for their soldiers mm-hmm. who would fight with traditional weapons, you know, in the jungle or out on open plains. And their opinion was if you got disarmed, then you were probably screwed because everybody else knew what they were doing with their yeah. weapons. And you well, know, it's like empty you know, hand wasn't going to help you a whole lot. Don't bring a knife to a gun show type thing. You know, if, if everybody's coming at you with knives and you have yeah. the option to use one, but you're going, nah, yeah, you know, it's, well, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that they just, you know, and, and you can see that in the way Kilton himself performs as a martial artist, his weapon stuff is head and shoulders above 99% of the stuff you know, still weaponized, uh, Asian martial arts right. that I've seen, but it's, I think a large part of that is because they've kept to that tradition of this is for battlefield. Mm-hmm. So we're going to spend most of our time on weapons. Right. And we'll use a fairly limited repertoire of empty handed stuff. Um, you know, just for personal self-defense around the house, or mm-hmm. if you get disarmed, maybe to give you a shot to get back to your weapon. Well, I think you can, you can see that, you can quickly gauge how serious the art is, especially if you're talking about a bladed, a short blade um, art in actually like kind of their targets and their economy of motion and that kind of thing. You know, if, if they're going pokey stabby at the heart or, you know, at the legs and all this other shit. And, you know, it's like you're, you're going to want to disarm and you want to, you know, cut off the major veins and arteries and that kind of thing. That's, Usually, what you're going to see in, a, in an advanced uh, bladed thing is that they're not just going to go pokey stabby type of thing, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's pretty grim. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you know, this guy Kilton again. I got to get him on this show one of these days. He's mm-hmm. he's agreed to do it, but then I can't nail him down. Yeah. Uh, is uh, you know, he, he's not alone he's just in that. A human Cuisinart. I mean, they they favor staffs and uh, single or double single edge swords not exactly like chinese oxtail sabers right they're more like uh more like cutlasses oh what's that thing that that i'm thinking of the kukri or whatever uh the kukri is a knife that's a that's a gurkha yeah 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 it's longer yeah 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 they they vary in length but they're still they don't get up to sword length typically they're a foot or less blade length typically um but, uh, you know, and you put two of these things in his hands and there's no way to even get close to him. You know? mm-hmm. Unless, <laughs> unless you got maybe got, a spear, unless Back you've got a spear. long weapon of your own. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, or Guandao. But you can really see it just in their footwork patterns, in and the way they use their bodies, like their warm up sets and their physical conditioning. It, it surprised me when I first saw it. It looked a lot like what you would see in Northern Shaolin. Hmm. I mean, very similar, just like with an Indian flavor to it. Right, right. Um, a little curry. But the weapons work looks a lot different. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, 
the postures and the footwork, it, there's a substantial difference there. So, right. you know, um, you can see where a lot of divergence has occurred, you know, in that whole oh, yeah. region with it's like, okay, these warm ups work for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Or these stretching drills or, you know, conditioning drills. But, you know, whether you're battlefield or monastery defense or, well, you know, thing, things are going to specialize down Definitely. through time. Um, uh, so there's first some some systems wait till the very end to do weapons. Mm-hmm. And like Bagua is mostly, uh, you know, it's designed as sort of a, a bodyguarding thing. And especially in my branch and the modern thing, we we put weapons at the end. But that also gets into another interesting thing, which is we don't have weapon forms. That's right. I like the way that you guys handle your so weapons, actually. We, we learn all the, the movements, the content of the system, and how to put it together. And then what you do is, once you've learned that, you start using weapons. And I think it's mainly just to teach you to use improvised weapons, but you use classical weapons mm-hmm. uh, to establish, like, you know, if you're doing it with a staff, then you'll find out how the moves work with a longer stick. Right. And how you need to adjust them from what they are empty-handed. And there's a lot of adjustment that goes oh, on. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, just putting a knife in both hands or a couple of hatchets you got to move your your hands away from your body when it, you're doing changes even though you're doing the exact same single changes and double changes and whatever yeah you you know when you're empty-handed your arms can cross yeah exactly you know, one will run down the inside of the other one as they're changing position but you can't do that with a <laughs> with a knife in your hand you can but you you know it might hurt um yeah and, you know, the deer horn knives are easy to pick up. That's, you know, one of the first things somebody could do is get a deer horn knife if you already understand the Bogwa system because uh, the deer horn knives, and I think knives is a misnomer. You see people that sharpen the edges on them, but they're not supposed to be sharp. Yeah. Only the points are supposed to be sharp, mm-hmm. and the rest of it's dull. So you've got a crotch on top of that thing that's great for pushing and trapping, which we do a ton of, you yeah. know. You've got the hooks for hooking. You know, it's it's a good upright grappling. And frankly, I think, you know, a great bodyguarding tool for someone that knew this system would just be a wooden or, or you know, Lexan or just a completely dull yeah. and scale down pair of these because they can really augment all the stuff you already do in the system. Yeah, I don't see you having to, to slice or even poke with those things, but as just an... Uh, advanced controlling mechanism, man, yeah. and, and, and very daunting. You know? And the full-size ones, even though they're not um, sharpened, are still pretty lethal because they do have sharp points on them, and they weigh a couple of pounds a piece, and you you know, <laughs> you hatchet <laughs> somebody on. in the forehead with one of those points. <laughs> they're it's not getting back up in. for yeah. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's got a lot more non-lethal options built into the weapon. Mm-hmm. Um and but I can easily see too if you if you somehow luck out and get a throw in there and the way the spacing of the two points are at the top end, mm-hmm. you know you can easily lay that down on top of the neck and not have them choked out but have their air supply you know night night. I mean you can easily see that. Yeah, all kinds of different shit and especially that bit where you guys do the pushes. I mean it it you know the push and shove. It's made almost perfectly for that, you know, putting right on the elbow joint yeah. to wherever. Trap the arm, push it into the body, and mm-hmm. send them a flying. 
And that's one thing about about some of these weapons that are that are really nice. Um, you'll see even in swords and things like that where the what do you call it the pommel or the guard, um, like in that Tai Chi weapon we were talking about earlier. Sometimes it will just be a guard to protect your hand from another blade. You know, not chopping your hand. Um, but sometimes they'll have these little things sticking out. Different weapons have weird things sticking out, and they're great for trapping, hooking, disarming. Doing basically what we call a chinog, you know, a little bit of weapon grappling, if you would. Um, you know, it's, it's it's some really cool things, and it can bring some principles back to mind that will enhance your empty hand, too. Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, from people that do a lot of weapon sparring, it seems like the, the, the gist of what uh, the general tendency is that uh, most... Most of the traps and stuff that you learn like that don't mm-hmm. really work when people are going full speed well, or, or don't work very often. I would say you're correct on the small movements, like the, the intricate type things. But I think on the especially for the bigger weapons that actually don't have some of the hooky things. Yeah. But the larger range motions, I guess bigger circles where you're having to deal with the person's actual joints. Like what I was talking about outside before. Um, you get somebody with a staff and a spear, a, versus, a staff versus a spear, and you're able to intersect, you know, in between those two arms and simply pry like a lever yeah. and knock that thing right out of their arms because they just can't hold it anymore. Yeah, now that's getting down to using the weapon to manipulate the other person directly rather than catching well, true. a weapon with a weapon. True. That, that's what I was talking about. But again, I'm kind of second-handing that information, too. So hopefully as the show goes along, we'll get to interview some people who have the first hands on all that, too. Yes, indeed. And that's, I, I think, a, a great little trolling thing we just left out there for some of our listeners to pipe in with that's right come out from under the bridge that's right um unless you haven't paid your toll so you know some some styles introduce new specific weapons forms for weapons and some styles just use the same body mechanics and forms that they've used Mm -hmm. all along some styles are are weapons only Mm mm-hmm you know, some some of them teach it yeah, first. Kendo, uh, you know, any of the Kenjutsu, yeah. yeah. And then um, you have some of the Filipino arts, you know, that are stick and knife, you know, yeah. and that's pretty much it. And then they have maybe some open hands later, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, let's not forget uh, for all you sporting martial artists out there, there's still plenty of uh, martial weaponized sports. Uh, you know, yes, uh, indeed. Fencing, saber foil, epee. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, uh, you know, more aggressive versions of that sort of thing that, you know, are kind of on the line between sporting and not uh, like Dog Brothers oh, stuff, yeah. you know, where they're getting there and trying to pad up as best they can and just see what Still happens when go you go full it. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I admire. It's well, shit, even in the military, when you get in there, you, you've got the, I forget the what The pugil sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they recognize the fact that it does teach you something pretty damn good to have this training implement. Not like people are sending, you know, we're sending our military out there with a couple of sticks and saying, go, <laughs> go after a rock or whatever <laughs> it is, you know. No, but it's it's some implementation that's training other things that aren't quietly, you know, obvious right at, right at the gate. Yeah, well, they're... I mean, obviously, there could come a point when a rifle with no bullets becomes a club. Oh, hell you yeah. Know, or you turn or that a spear corner. if you've got a bayonet on it or, you know. Well, even if, if you've got your rifle and you're turning a corner, you're in, you know, a city scene, and you're, you're not pointing straight ahead with your muzzle, and you turn a corner literally in a little house, and you're too close to even 
turn yeah, the gun. Somebody's on got their hand on it too. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> you got it. You're gonna have to adapt and go. Mm-hmm. But um, we're getting out of. No, I mean, uh, can you think off the top of your head of any other uh, weapon sparring? Uh, you know, sporting. Well, there's yeah. the Filipino stuff. You know, they still do competitions with that. Definitely. Um, you know, this is way off track, but something that Pittman got into for a bit that I've heard has turned into, and this is something I want to look up uh, a little bit more about in research, uh, but is that Zulu <laughs> stick and yeah. shield thing that yeah. they've created kind of like a competitive, you know, more right. modern Keeping version. Keeping some culture of it. alive with it. Yeah. Um, straight up Shaka Zulu style. <laughs> but Well, he was doing a lot of sparring with people on the hoplite stuff, too, yeah. getting the old Greek weapons out. Well, that I remember being out point. there one day. We were training after class when the guys he did that stuff with showed up. And it was some other guy about Pittman's age showed up. And he had these two younger guys with him. Mm-hmm. So Alan's showing him, you know, here's how you use the shield. And here's how you use the, the spear, the sword. You know, they were using short spears and, yeah. and the shields. And uh, I guess he forgot to tell him to, to be real careful. Because if you don't hold the shield right, the top of it will just fold over when somebody bashes <laughs> into it. This poor kid got his top two teeth just plopped right out. Oh, nice. He just he just lightly lifted it up, thinking the shield will be my savior. Yep. No, it wound up taking his grin. Yeah, no. <laughs> Actually, the kid took it really well. But, you know, that that's an interesting segue into this um, this recent thing that's just happened in the past, I guess, 10 to 20 years, I'd say, and more so even recently. Um, everybody's got to be aware of this, but all these old Renaissance fighting arts, all weapons based are coming back into vogue. People are studying these old training manuals, Mm -hmm. like old shit, like a Kung Fu book, but for, you know, Spaniards or Germans or whatever it might be way back then and recreating the hell out of it and trying. And we've definitely got some of those people coming up in the interview queue, not too far in the future. So we'll get some more particulars from them. But I, you know, I have a little bit of experience with that because I worked for a guy who made leather armor and did the Ren Faire thing and stuff for a while. And, you know, there's there's no real fighting going on at the Ren Fairs or anything, right. but we would go camping and take our armor mm-hmm. and just have a little contest. We'd get basically um, uh, hot chick out on the stage and says, "Who wins?" Get never mind. <laughs> no, <laughs> we only wished. Uh, no, we would we we'd do shit like we'd have axe throwing contests, and, oh, okay. you know, knife throwing contests, and we would have these big melees too. Yeah. Where we'd armor up so you we could actually hit each other with wooden, uh, you know kendo swords right what'd you put on your head football helmets well we either made the head off limits mm-hmm. um although we realized early on that even <laughs> if the head is off limits you need to have a gorget yeah you do <laughs> you brush off that shoulder <laughs> it's right um or you know you could you could wear any kind of hard hat or football helmet or whatever you had <laughs> laying around we he, you know we had access to nicer period looking helmets but they were rarely well padded yeah. for actual use and they were also expensive so you didn't want to dang them up right so we usually just did it without helmets and just you know targets body only all right but again like i said you poke somebody in the chest and that point will slide right mm-hmm. up to their throat so you definitely need a gorget to to do it safely can you but say we that would, word again? We could, you know, I got gorget. Yeah. yeah. Does that end in a T when you spell it? It does. All right. Yeah. That was worth It's basically a throat protector. All right. A gorget. Gorget. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but I really, I kind of, it was, you know, it was early in the stages when I was studying Shaolin. So I was cleaning up at the, uh, <laughs> at the sword fighting so, yeah, competitions. That. Uh, but it, it was a lot of fun. And we, then we would just go free for all, like somebody get a, a six or seven foot long bamboo pole and, <laughs> oh. you know, two other guys that have swords and somebody else would run in throwing things at you, you know, right. and, and, but we'd go at each other. We were young have and fun done. We'd beat it, the shit out still. of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know that really you can learn a lot doing that. I'm not oh, saying yeah. it's going to make you you know an expert sword. And people have taken this, ninja warrior. People have taken the training and the reality of it much further than than we did with society that society. For never mind. <clears throat> um, well, I mean, you know, the SCA was pretty fast and loose with the reality of the uh, thing. Yeah. They were more concerned with the burlap underwear. But a lot of people that started out in that evolved into, like, uh, you know, these armor groups and other people that were going yeah. back to the old manuals. And let's see what Talhofer has to say about uh, how to use this weapon right, properly right. and actually training it like any other martial art would train. Yeah. And we got a few here in town. Two of, my, two of my students are, are checking out a couple of them. There's a German longsword. Uh, class that's going on and another training group and a couple of my guys are checking it out and they're they're loving it they showed me a couple of their training drills even mm-hmm. that they did it's basically you know uh european longsword push hands if you would yeah. and uh really cool legitimate stuff that i'm like you know y'all are recreating it out of these manuals maybe you do or don't have martial arts experience but you know some of these drills that you're recreating are legit i i can't i can't blame you for it yeah, well, you know, a, th- a lot of it's come from Asian martial arts just because those tended to survive more in- intact into the yeah. modern age. And frankly, it's human beings using weapons against each other. So the the realistic stuff, if you're paying attention, will sort of rise to the well, top true. no matter where it comes from. Yeah, and I would like to chop probably, his neck, you know. Again, it's just human beings and physics and weapons. And you can recreate this stuff if you're using the same tools under the same conditions, more or less, as close as you can as they were used before. You're going to come eventually to the same conclusion. Well, technique wise, I don't yeah. think I think the subtle the subtler aspects about the the how um, you know, like power generation and things like that. You can easily throw a punch and from point A to point B and teach that somebody, but how to throw a good punch without hurting yourself, but also delivering a lot of power, yada, yada, yada. There's a little bit more subtlety than you can put just in diagrams and so on and so forth. Well, I'm saying, but these people are spilling the sweat and blood to, to find out where all those other particulars are true and that's great because we've seen some of these like like you mentioned sca in the beginning i have to say i kind of thought of them as a joke but i'm seeing them come to maturity and i'm seeing a lot of subgroups come out of there that uh it shouldn't be you know tossed out right and again you know it has the same pull on people as asian martial arts do to a certain extent just preserving you know um uh, human culture you yeah know? And especially if it's quote unquote your own, I mean, we're all American mongrels here, so it's hard to lay <laughs> claim to being the sole inheritor of the, uh, you know, Prussian system of blah, blah, right. but you know, no more than any of us white guys are inheritors to the Shaolin temple tradition, you know, True, but we indeed. still like it from that oh, perspective. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me throw this out at you. Um, coming at this from an MMA perspective, as I usually am dot, 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 right. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you're starting to open your mind a little, Craig. I'm uh, noticing. <laughs> that's what this whole show is about. It's about opening our own minds and those of our listeners and just sharing and being all brothers and sisters and in this ridiculous endeavor. We we'll do. hug it up in a champagne lounge. Yeah. So make your point. 
Anyway, is one of the biggest biggest arguments that a lot of times you hear about in the typical traditional versus MMA uh, argument is, okay, well, you know, if we're down on the ground grappling, you know, what says your friend or my friend can't come around with a spear and just go pokey pokey in the head with my stick while you're on the ground making love, whatever. And I think, you know, it's it's hard to get that kind of training. It it depends on the environment for an MMA school. If you're very competitive and stuff, you're going to be focusing on what you need to do to win and all this kind of stuff. Well, they're training. They're focusing and training very hard on the techniques that will dominate in the ring. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if it's if it's more of a, a flexible school, you know, a, a more loose approach to competition, if they are approaching it from a real-life perspective of, of self-defense and that kind of thing, um, in these kind of scenarios, um, it'll be interesting to hear if anybody ever does that. But you can imagine if you're on the ground, whether you're on top or on bottom, um, dealing with just somebody every now and then coming with a broom handle and just saying, all right, well, can you be aware of this? Can you be aware of that? You know, how do you think they might be able to bring something like that into their own training? Do you think that's doable? It's doable if they want to do it. Yeah, and is it worthwhile? Even? Right, and you know if if your goal is to be a professional fighter, there's only so many hours in the day, so you're well, probably going to want to target all of your training on what's really going to benefit you most in the yeah, ring. Your goal. But if you're somebody that you know like is concerned with you know self defense and maybe does a grappling art along with a striking art or a traditional you know uh, martial art that might include weapons and stuff, then all of it's going to work together to help you get to where you want to be with it. Good point. Good point. It's just a matter of where do you want to be? You know, what's your focus? Right. You uh, want to be here or do you want to be over there? Yeah. You know. Or maybe over there. <laughs> all right. So let's get on. Uh, let's get on towards the end of this. Um, but one thing I want to talk about, and this is, this is where the big thing with weapons training comes in for me is adjust. The world is full of, Weapons. Improvised weapons. Uh-huh. And if you look at the classical weapons you'll see in most martial arts, they approximate a lot of the stuff that you could use for a weapon that you might just find lying around. Oh, fuck yeah. Jackie Chan is the one who taught me that. Watching his all his old school movies, that guy would pick up anything and just beat you over the head. You know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, when I first saw it, I saw he'd pick up the the benches. Now, later, once I got, you know, more mature in my understanding of Chinese martial arts, I realized, well, that's actually a weapon that they teach forms for right. and shit now, you know. But but at the time, I saw it as, dude, that guy just picked up a freaking chair and walloped this guy, and he used it, you know. And so even though it wasn't intended that way, it's I, I gained something out of that, and I gained the idea of what we're talking about right here. You know, uh, a broadsword, it doesn't have to be a broadsword. The characteristics of that sword are heavy, heavy at the top and single edge and so on and so forth. Many other physical objects in this universe. Oh, everything have those from a good qualities. size butcher knife to a machete to a bar stool, believe to, it or not. Well, yeah, or a lamp or something, mm-hmm. you know, that's he- you got a grip on it and heavier on one end than the other. Exactly. You can translate some of those same <laughs> principles using it. Oh, we're babysitting another dog, so it's even worse than usual here. <laughs> And it's Scotto's dog, if y'all have listened that long. Yeah. You know the Scotto. And this dog is just as neurotic as him, so here we go. <laughs> uh, we'll see if he's listening, listening to the show. Yeah, no <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I really I, I appreciate the way that, that Gal Bagua incorporates weapons by um, just adapting them to the suite of principles that you already know from Empty mm. Hand. 
because that gives you the freedom as a teacher and a practitioner. Like often when I have somebody that graduates to that level, the first thing I'll do is not send them out to get a broadsword or a traditional spear or something like that. I'll tell them, go dig around in the toolbox. There you go. And literally go dig around in the shed. Yeah. And find something that would serve as a weapon that you could toss in the back of your car or be carrying around with you. Nobody would ever say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and use that as your first weapon train that, you know, and we've had people do everything from framing hammers, uh, to hatchets, to sledgehammer, sledgehammer yeah, 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 which is a great, you know, strength oh, training, uh, thing um and, and i even uh, i just to toss that out there talking about the sledgehammer when i was living in singapore there was a cat literally in you know in my apartment i'd wake up have my coffee do my qigong or tai chi or whatever the fuck it was doing i'd look out the kitchen window and behind my apartment building nice little green grass area and there was this cat that was always out there doing this stuff and i say stuff because i was at first i was like is he doing kung fu or is he just on crack until i realized no that guy was doing kung fu proper on crack yeah no he had a sledgehammer his little shirt was off and he was doing all kinds of circular movements and all this great exercise but started watching a little bit more carefully and realized no he's doing power generation exercises and he's got it down you know and it was it was odd for me to see in singapore but you know still it was right up that alley man yeah so, um, you know, it can, it can open your mind to just real and look with a traditional martial art that's still focusing on self-defense, self-protection, whatever, mm-hmm. protecting others. <clears throat> yeah. We don't get as much hands-on full intensity sparring like someone in a sporting martial art. Cause if do. you mess up, you know, the repercussions are much more. Well, what I'm getting at here is that we, in some ways we counterbalance that by being keenly aware of the weapons in the environment and and having no compunction against using them right it's like if somebody says oh dave uh can you beat chuck liddell are you fucking kidding me you know i'm not getting in the ring with that right. guy he'd kill me in the ring and you know he's roughly my size he'd kill my ass in the ring because that's what he does i'd he's have to very agree. very good at it right but i train as a traditional martial artist so the question for me would be if he breaks into my house in the middle of the night mm-hmm. <clears throat> can i beat him and I think I've got a pretty good chance then yeah. because he's in my house and I know where all my weapons at. You exactly. Know? <laughs> and you do have a healthy, healthy uh, bit of them. You also got uh, quite a few guitars. Elkabong. Elkabong. Yeah. Yep. But you know, you see what I'm saying there um, is that it's it's a it's an avenue of training that even like hardcore sport guys often miss out on. And but we were talking to like uh, Chris Yatskovich a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we were. And you know, he got in a real situation as a doorman. And he didn't pull out a fancy, you know, he didn't throw the guy down and try to Boston crab him. He <laughs> popped him in the mouth with an ashtray. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of thinking you need when it's when it's real, you mm-hmm. know, when your own health and safety or your family or, you know, some innocent bystander might actually be at a risk. You know, you need to sort of open your mind to being able to go straight to that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, dude. I can remember messing around in Panama City Beach, Florida. With, you know, you go to a uh, hotel or whatever, and you have those plastic chairs outside always, you know, and everybody knows what they look like, you know. And even though it's the whole thing is made out of molded plastic and the whole thing weighs the same pretty much everywhere. But I found that if I grab the tip of it, of one of the legs, and I used it actually as a broadsword, it still worked. Obviously, I had to 
make more space because of the chair around my body. I'd do a wrap around me. It'd be bigger and stuff right. like that. But I found that if I would use the proper power generation as though I was carrying a big, heavy sword, I could wallop the fuck out of somebody. And, you know, there was a couple of us that were battling with plastic chairs. And it was really kind of funny, <laughs> but it but it worked, and we, we found some interesting things with it. You know, and it, yeah, it was quite silly, but it, it brought about a very interesting learning of spacing, changing, timing, distancing, all that kind of stuff, and that a chair could be a broadsword, so to speak, you know? Right. So, yeah, so weapons training in the end there uh, is is quite practical, I think, for the modern age. One, because a lot of these weapons are still around knives, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, because it it... it facilitates your use of improvised weaponry if you absolutely have to do that at some point. I think a, a, a good point to, to bring out, too, is is what you were talking about with Gal Bagua and the fact that you guys don't do quote-unquote forms. You simply take the same principles and, and apply them to whatever might be in your hand. Now, ideally, or there's sometimes going to be ideal shaped, weighted, um, whatever things, weapons or just things for you to use for certain movements. When you take it to the MMA round and you're talking about an arm bar or something like that, and you think about the way that your arms are constructed, you know, away uh, along with the other person's body and things like that. If your arm needs to be straight to do something or it needs to be flexible and then slowly straighten out, what other item can you think about? You know, that's not your arm. You know, something else that can also do that, that you could use for that same type of thing. Or if you're, you know, if you need to be really flexible, that kind of thing. What else has that, you know? There's there's a lot of different things. I mean, you think about, you've seen even in, the, you know, I hate to point out the movies. But you think about anything where, you know, you press it against their neck, against their thing from behind, you know, and try to choke them out with this microphone stand or something like that. In the, you know, open hand, we'd use our arm, our forearm to press against, you know, the windpipe or whatever. But, you know, this extra thing, if I come a swinging with it and hit it hard enough, it's going to, and then I grab it at the other end, it's going to, you know, help implement that as well. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. Right, right. You could also choke somebody to death with the belt off your bathrobe in a pinch. Oh. That's a callback. Maybe maybe we'll put that in the bumper music. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to touch on here, we're actually kind of running long on this talk. Uh, the last Crazy. thing I want to touch on here is, um, Craig, do you think that training with and against weapons, uh, like doing knife defense drills and that sort of stuff, do you think if you're not really, really careful that it can lower people's respect for the weapons? Like if you're in there with rubber knives oh, and yes. you're doing takeaways and, and disarms. And- I definitely think so. And I think it happens every single day in most modern self-defense classes and seminars for women out there uh, across the U.S. Um, right. Yeah. I mean. We didn't even prep for that, but I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely, you know. Um, you can learn techniques that can help you in situations like that. But if you're unarmed and the other person has a knife or whatever, and you can't escape because escape is always the first option. (laughs) Always remember X block for most of the time. Anybody has a blade, they're coming down at you or anything. Just go into the X block. Remember that. Yeah. You can make a high X block or a low X block, really. Yeah, or a side X block. Or a middle, Shit. sneaky middle X block. This is no, uh, facetious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, I, what, in my experience, uh, 
what helps the most in dealing with a weapon when you're empty handed is just is, is principles and not specific fiddly takeaways and disarms and stuff like that's that. That's almost the same thing though with all the martial arts, but even more so times a thousand with weapons. Cause you will get yourself really, really, really hurt. I mean, could be dead if you don't have a serious respect for this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, while it sucks to get poked with a rubber knife, it doesn't have the same psychological effect as one actually making a blood spurting hole in you. Well, I think that was the whole point of the shock knife and, and mm-hmm. things like that is gain respect that, that rubber knife BS, you know, I, there's still today on YouTube, all kinds of knife defense techniques and all these kinds of things. And these guy in camo pants and all this and muscled up and they look the part, but then you watch their defense and you're like, Oh my God, seriously, dude, yeah. you'll get someone killed trying to do that. Uh-uh. Or yourself. Yeah. Yeah, like the the only knife defense or uh, tactics that I teach specifically, and there's really only one, and that's if someone's holding you up. Not if they're attacking you with it, but if they're brandishing it and threatening you with it. Well, like yeah. Like sticking the knife in your face, basically. Saying, that says they don't want to use it, and they're scared already. And and Exactly. And, that's, and I don't teach a specific technique for that. I teach a principle, which is action is quicker than reaction. Mm-hmm. So if they're dumb enough to put it within your range and hold it still while they're threatening you, then you stand an okay chance of actually taking the fucking thing away from them and, you know, making a popsicle out of them with it. But if My once the attack is on, the then, and run. Yeah, then <laughs> but, get the hell away uh-huh. and, uh, you know, find your own improvised weapon. Don't, mm-hmm. don't try to X block and wrist lock somebody exactly. with a knife. You know, you pick up that chair, that table, that dog whatever you have handy <laughs> he said dog now i wonder why frankly Mia's anything's on his uh, nerves yeah. frankly anything's better than nothing you know and and just to tie this in back to a reality factor the last time i ever got into a real physical confrontation not exchanging hands or you know little sparring matches of fun shit uh but was back overseas and i think i even told this story when i was in malaysia and, and had my passport stolen and shit a couple guys had me literally up in darkened alley, you know, your typical story type thing. But it was at that moment I realized I'm a foreigner. I look like, you know, probably a privileged white kid. And I saw hatred in the eyes of these cats with the fucking blade. And I almost shit myself, even though I had so many years of training and I knew everything, blah, 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 what to do. But I about, you know, I definitely froze. And it seemed like hours, but it was only seconds. But then when I moved... It was only after very quickly going through, do you realize what he has in his hand? And yeah, because I about shit myself. And and quickly all the principles came about of which way I need to turn, which way I need to move his joints and all that kind of stuff. Because I realized if not, this guy w- was not going to hesitate to cut me to sh- you know ribbons. Right. And uh, that, that was, I got to say, pretty much the scariest moment in my life, even above and beyond a couple of gun, you know, I've had guns in my face and I've dealt with those. Definitely scared, but not as scared as a knife because, you know, there's something psychological about a knife. It just creeps people out. Yeah, (laughs) it's a different kind of violation than getting shot. It seems more personal. It really it's the wet, wet, wetty, bloody work. Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the wet work. (laughs) Yes, indeedy. So, yeah. So, you know, and uh, again, if you, if you get caught in a real situation with a, with a real weapon and you don't have any way out of it, then, you know, you're just going to have to rely on what you bring in with you and any kind of improvised weaponry you can find laying around and just understand that, you know, if somebody's really out to hurt you with it, they will. You're, and yeah, but you're better off fighting back than not. The, yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, I mean, you see, you know, you, when you see about knife murders in the news, it's always something like this. You know, she stabbed her husband 57 times or he stabbed his girlfriend 38 times. It's like, oh, my God, they must be monsters just stabbing, stabbing. stabbing. Well, look, that's they probably had to stab him that many times to get him to stop mm-hmm. moving or screaming or whatever. Because unless somebody's trained with a knife and knows how to use it effectively, then it's it's not as easy to kill somebody with one as you might think. And, and that kind of training actually takes quite a bit of training. I mean, yeah. it takes not but like maybe an hour to understand where to strike and how to strike, but to pull it off. To be good at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is something completely different. You you come up against a trained weapon artist on a modern weapon, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck on. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, my advice. We've, uh, we're almost blurring over into a different topic now, so I think we better shut our mouths since we were as unprepared as possible uh, anyway. Yeah. We came <laughs> Two in weeks running. something else. At least this time, we're reasonably sober. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> so I think that may have gone better than last week's. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. we've still got a little bit more for you folks. We're going to creep out to the Champagne Lounge and uh, get our bathrobes on. But we'll be back with some news and uh, maybe a little bit of media mop-up. Yeah, zero in that nature. All right. Zeroing in on it. Hey, hose us down, brother. <laughs> Coming to you live from the sub-basement of the Umbrella Corporation. Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> it's Craig Kiesling, your intrepid reporter with martial arts news, news, news. News. All right, folks. Well, we've had some news. <clears throat> Jackie Chong, otherwise known as Jackie Chan. What? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. I had ping pong on the brain. I just want to say something with the ong on it. Okay. All right, Jackie Chan. Um, recently won the best director for his 100th film, Chinese Zodiac, otherwise known as CZ 12 at the ninth annual Hua Ding Awards in Hong Kong back on April 10th. Hmm. I've heard, I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard that thing's a hot mess. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either. I don't know. Sounds like one of those things where they, you know, some actor gets dissed at the Academy Awards his whole life and then he makes a mediocre movie and they're like, okay, we got to give him this one. Yeah. We might not get another chance. On the title just fucks with my head. It's yeah, it's Chinese and I can think of the 12 animals and stuff. But anytime I hear Zodiac, I'm thinking serial killer. I don't, I don't know. Well, that was a, that was a thing too. Yeah. A little hot sex for you. All right, moving along. Not much news on this. There was a a fight at this um, this this tournament type thing, but I was just um, I was just amazed to learn about this uh, this tournament that goes on. Don't know if you've heard of it, Dave, and uh, or if any of our listeners. But I want to inform you about the Kata Beach Open. It's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu and submission grappling tournament. Held outdoors right on the beach uh, in Phuket, Thailand. 
concept brings the beach, the sun, and fun to BJ tournament structure. While the tournament is held in a relaxing surrounding of Kata Beach. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, the, like the Japanese word? Yes, yeah, yes. Interesting. The IBJJF, International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, rules and a certified uh, IB, whatever that acronym, referee will be seeing over the entire tournament. Um, you know, it's always been connected to the, the beaches of Brazil. So they're trying to bring this into the beaches of Thailand. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons for that is we'll tie into, uh, another story that I'll talk about here in a little bit, but basically what you have is on the beach, um, you know, fighting on an even surface with a two inch thick tatami mat, uh, onlookers from around the beach can just chill and, and watch, uh, supposedly it's going to be a high level professional tournament offers once in a lifetime beach experience. You can check out more info at Kata beach, BJJ open.com. That of course will also be in the show notes that will, uh, be up at some point. Now, the are they future. actually going to be having the tournament on the beach, like on the sand? No, it's, it, I mean, the, the tournament's on the beach, but so are the tatami mats. So you got these tatami mats on the beach. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to India, as we tend to do here, you know, you may know him from his Bollywood action thrillers, Force, Shakti, and Commando. Commando! Vidya Jamwal, the 34-year-old actor, is now busy shooting Tigmanshu Dulia's Bullet Raja and Vipul Amrutal's Shah's <laughs> Commando 2. The Indian action star was inspired by his mother at an early age of three, so he claims to begin learning martial arts. Specifically, the Indian martial art called Kalaripatri. Yeah, I can't yeah. do that. Kalaripatri. Kalaripayatu, something like that. Anyway, aside from his current movie-making activities, he's also planning to open a university in Kerala where martial arts aspirants can seek expert training. Vidyat says uh, people... Is his name Vidyat? Well, that's how I'm pronouncing it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's kind of like video idiot. Yeah. You are a idiot. <laughs> you are very idiot. <laughs> All right, I guess it would be better to call him by his last name, Jim Wall. All right. Yeah, Jim Wall. People okay. know about world martial art forms like Kung Fu and Karate, but they are not aware of Indian martial art forms like Kalari, that word. Also, we don't have many schools here that teach that art. I'm working on opening a university. We are Rajputs, my family. My father was in the army. He passed away many years back. I've always wanted, no, I've always been taught to be strong and determined. While practicing martial arts and doing stunts in the movies, whenever I got injuries, my mother always tells me not to worry. She says, you are not a loser. So anyway, if you too want not to be a loser, go to Kerala, India and sign up at this university. More to come in the show notes, folks. I tell you, India is another place that had a wealth of traditional martial arts that a lot of it's either gone underground or just disappeared. Um, that sucks. And yeah, and even some of the stuff that's still out there, like Kilton with his Tong Ta, I don't know. Maybe he's, you know, he may have a dozen students, maybe less. That's the way it is when it comes to traditional stuff, though. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So get out there and get some of that stuff, folks. Do it. Do it. Salt Lake City. Utah. Mm -hmm. The Mormon bishop, that's right, Mormon bishop goes samurai. 
A samurai sword-wielding Mormon bishop helped a neighbor woman escape a Tuesday morning attack by a man who had been stalking her. Kent Hendricks is his name. He wakes up Tuesday morning to his teenage son pounding on his bedroom door and telling him somebody was being mugged in front of their house. The 47-year-old father of six rushed out the door and grabbed the weapon close, closest to him, a 29-inch carbon steel samurai sword. He, Whoa, katana. Hey, katana if you can, katana if you can't. So he comes upon what he describes as a melee between a woman and a man. His son stays inside to call 911 as he approaches the man along with other neighbors who came to help. However, they started to back up when they saw his weapon. The martial arts instructor didn't hesitate in drawing the sword and yelling at him to get on the ground. He says, his God, In the name of Joseph Smith, I command thee. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hendrick says the guy's eyes got as big as saucers, and he kind of gasped and jumped back. He's probably never had anyone draw a sword on him before. I imagine so. The man ran down the street with a barefoot Hendrix and others in pursuit. Hendrix said he couldn't catch the man before he fled in his car, but he picked up what was dropped. The man had stolen but dropped chapstick. And as he's picking up that dropped piece of chapstick, he looked up and saw the license plate of the getaway car, and he memorized it. And he yells at him as the man is driving away, I've got your DNA, and I've got your license plate. You are so done, man. (laughs) Okay, the voice helped it. The suspect, 37-year-old Grant Eggerston, turned himself in to police an hour later, says Unified Police Lieutenant Justin Hoyle. Hey, he's got my booked. license number and my chapstick. There's not much I can do. Hey, and he had his DNA. You know, we're not we're not questioning if they you know knew each other before this for DNA transfusion or transference and that kind of thing. You're just being gross now. I am. He's booked on charges of robbery, attempted burglary, trespassing, violation of stalking injunction, all that good stuff. Anyway, uh, for you know that you- that reminds me of a, a time when I. Once tried to intervene in a domestic spat with a martial arts weapon. What happened? <laughs> I was like 18 years old. And I was living in this crappy apartment down from the rock block in Nashville. And I heard some yelling one evening and I looked out my back window and I could see a car had pulled over and a woman and a man had gotten out of it. And the man was just up in this woman's face yelling at her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he started pushing her around. All right. So I'm like, well, hell, goddamn, you know. I want a piece of this. Let me go shove her around, too. So I, I grabbed my nunchucks, because I always had a pair of nunchucks around back then. <laughs> and I ran down the three flights of stairs and around the corner over there. And, uh, you know, I, because like, you got fucking nunchucks. That's right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to hit you with them, too, if I have to. <laughs> but I tried to get that woman to, I'm like, Come with me. We'll call the police. We'll do whatever. You know, get away from me. But he told her to get back in the car, and she got back in the fucking car. Dude, and you so hear about point, it all the like, time. It's like, what am I going to do, you know? Yeah. And he got in the car and drove off, giving me the finger as he left. Well, fear, control, all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, you hear about it with battered wives and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Sometimes battered husbands now, too, you know. that It does it's, exist, We don't want to hear your personal silly. story, Craig. Oh, please. All right, moving along. Uh, all right, my last story. It's a sad, sad thing. 
French mixed martial artist champion Arnaud The Game Lepont has a red mohawk and once had a successful career as an accountant with Credit Lyonnais, one of the largest <laughs> banks in France. He left that well-paying job at the age of 25 to beat up guys in a cage. He now wants Malaysian citizenship. That's right. He lives in Malaysia, and he loves it, and he's been living and working there for about a year and a half now, and he wants to become a citizen. He says, I fight in one FC championship. And they put the French flag next to my name. But my hometown is Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's the capital for those of you who don't know KL, mm -hmm. they call it. Look at how model, actor, and fellow mixed martial arts fighter Peter Davis puts the Malaysian flag on his shoulders. I would love to do that too, but I'm afraid people would criticize me and say I'm not Malaysian. Give me citizenship and I swear I would give up my French passport. In just under two years, 1FC has grown to become a powerhouse mixed martial arts promotion center. And the spotlight is now on Southeast Asia as a center of growth in Asia. In, in the past, it had been kind of Japan and, and uh, you know, the West and that kind of thing. And it moved East, moved to Japan. Now it's kind of shifting its way down to Southeast Asia. 1FC, with its base now in Singapore, again, another big move that blew me away. It happened after I lived there. They started holding events in Singapore, Indonesia, and Malaysia before going on to the Philippines. This year, it has plans to hold events in Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Macau, and mainland China. The hotspots, as I mentioned earlier, used to be Japan, home of shoot wrestling, Pride FC, and Dream FC. A little later, the U.S. Fighting Championship took over as the world's most popular MMA promotion center. In 2011, 1FC rolled onto the scene, and it very soon was clear that something interesting was happening in SEA, Southeast Asia. And Singapore also evolved mixed martial arts as drawing famous international fighters to its camp. Fighters who were preparing for their matches often head to Thailand for their training. Muay Thai and all that, Muay Lao, Muay Baran, all this good stuff. And locally, Muay, Muay Fit is building up its roster of international fighters with names such as Filipino champion Eric the Natural, Kelly, and LaPont. Another French mixed martial arts fighter, Cedric Uve, and his wife, Corel Pradat, also a fighter, came to the area of Malaysia in December of last year just to help LaPont prepare for his fight. But they fell in love with the way of life and decided to stay when offered teaching jobs at Moifit. Belgian fighter Samir Mrabet came to Malaysia two years ago as a commercial officer for the Belgian embassy and found that Asia was the only place with a future for me, he says. He opened up Monarchy Mixed Martial Arts Gym in KL last year, also fought in the Malaysian Fighting Championships organized by Moy Fett. You know, for this guy, it wasn't actually uh, an uncalculated risk to make that move. He had plans in mind a little bit. He, uh, he moved to Vietnam and then to Thailand, where he thought he could improve his stand-up game with some Muay Thai training. But an unexpected turn of events soon had him heading for Malaysia. Uh, he opened a gym in Vietnam, but the business deal went bad, basically. He said, it, I lost everything, lost all my money. But thank God, before I left Vietnam, I met the most amazing woman. It's always a, a romance story. <laughs> he says, uh, she's now my wife and the mother of my son. She's from Hanoi. She helped me clear up all my problems and get back to Vietnam. She's also helped me in Thailand, decided to follow me all the way here to Malaysia. Laponce, the son of a trainer, uh, was trained at Free Fight Academy in Paris under Matthew Nicort. Uh, he lost his mom when he was a teenager, 
credits his dad and martial arts for keeping him out of trouble all these years. Started learning karate when he was five, you know, all this good stuff. But it's interesting to note he started off his career as an accountant, finally decided he wanted to get in and, and make martial arts more of his thing. And aside from that, you know, he, he moved to Vietnam, moved to Thailand, was looking for Muay Thai, and ended up in Malaysia and bouncing back and forth between there and Singapore. Um, it's just interesting to see there's a lot of people heading to Southeast Asia for this whole martial arts competitive fighting thing. I just I didn't see that happening as an interna- international thing. I knew it would happen in Japan. I, I'm kind of shocked. Well, you know, I, I think it makes perfect sense in a way. I mean, one, if there's opportunity, you're going to get that kind of traveling you know, people from other regions. If you can start a gym, maybe a lot easier to start a gym where things are just starting to pop there in Malaysia than it is back in France where, you know, they're already saturated or whatever. Right. Um, but I think the other side of it is I think MMA style competition, once it really catches fire down there is going to be huge mm-hmm. because Southeast Asia already has these very intense sport fighting traditions, you know, Muay Thai, Muay Lao. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about some, uh, Burmese yeah. stuff um, tonight. Uh, well, even you know, which in we'll the past, get to had it with chickens and shit. You we'll, know, we'll reschedule with our guest. He had an emergency, so it's not his fault. Even though we pay the big bucks, sometimes people have to drop out for one reason. Or How another. big are those bucks, Dave? Uh, actually, I'm lying. There's no bucks involved. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, they've already got a pretty gritty situation going you know martial comp competitive sports situation going and you know once they mix in ground game and stuff with that it'll be just like you know i mean already you know mma in america uses muay thai a lot for its stand-up game so you know i think once you're going to see a huge surge in popularity there when they go to jujitsu or wrestling or whatever they go to for their ground game and get that all incorporated i think you know I'd have to agree when you put it that way. Now that I think about it, um, you know, like I mentioned in the past, when I was living over there, um, I was seeing a shift uh, when it came to Salat and uh, very indigenous Salat because Salat's kind of Malaysian, also Indonesian. You got some subregions, but uh, like Kung Fu, you have a lot of different styles, a lot of tradition. You know, they wear some funny shit and they do some funny ass moves, but they're pretty ass deadly. And what I was seeing was all this stuff kind of dying, like traditional Kung Fu sometimes does, and seeing them, you know, putting on the karate pants and getting in for point sparring for Salat and, you know, broad tear to my eye. And so in the past, though, what you had with Salat when it came to competitions between villages and stuff, pretty really gritty. I mean, somebody's going home hurt big time. And, and and so I think the old timers can respect, even though they may be different styles that the majority of the fighters are, are bringing into this camp, they're respectful of the fact that these cats are warriors. They're ready to get down and get themselves hurt and hurt other people, uh, maybe for money, maybe for honor, whatever it might be. But, you know, there's some respect there, and I, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's helping them, not to mention the fact it's bringing in a lot of money. And ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. And I think a lot of these people that are top-notch Thai boxers or whatever in their native lands, when they see that there's more money to be made and the potential for televised matches and, you know, a worldwide mm-hmm. organization that you could rise into bigger and bigger purses, then 
Oh, yeah. A lot of those guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll learn a ground game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and especially. I'm already busting my chops out here. I'll just learn to wrestle, too, and then we can, exactly. you know, I can play in that big field with everybody. Well, in, in martial arts, whether it be Western or Eastern stand-up or on the ground, there's always been that entertainment aspect, like we were talking about with Hitzkovich and, and ourselves and other people. You know, I can't say those words. Um <laughs> But, you know, there's been that thing, and, and it's the, the pink elephant in the room. Nobody really wants to admit to it and say, oh, yeah, this is big, you know. But it happens. People got to make a living. You know, we had kung fu people doing tricks in the street just to get a yeah. couple of something to eat. Selling um, patent medicine. Yeah. But, and so it was kind of an embarrassing thing. But now it's turned it on its shoulders and realized, no, we can fight still and be legit and be entertaining. You know, it be entertainment and make a, a – serious killing it can be a career you know yeah uh rather than just simply trying to eat you know mm-hmm. so that, that and you know mma is just so broad i think it has the potential to incorporate and bring all this stuff together um things like you know like if you're a brazilian jiu-jitsu purist or you know some of the components break down there's sort of a I think there's just a ceiling on their popularity, you know, Um, and like Brazilian jiu-jitsu has evolved to the point now where I've seen a lot of fussing and complaining about how boring the fights have gotten at the Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. Anderson Silva, remember? He wouldn't play ball? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not talking about MMA. I'm talking about straight up Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments um, where they, uh, you know, people pull guard and they do these fiddly things and they they do the butt scoot around you know and it's, it's, <laughs> we'll talk about that sounds like we, a party at my house we'll talk brother. about that when we got steve or somebody that's qualified to talk yeah. about it with us on but uh steve what's the butt fiddly thing again the boot scoot, <laughs> boot scoot, Bo- the booty scoot. yeah <laughs> um but yeah i'm just going on what i read on people's twitter accounts and stuff right. <laughs> i don't even see most of this um but so anyway i should probably shut my mouth um the one more thing i'll throw out here before we uh, call an end to this one is uh, I watched a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called Tai Chi Zero. Oh, how much Tai Chi is in there? Zero. Guessing, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> no, there's... <laughs> Real quick, let me, before we jump into zero-ness, let me just uh, give a, a quick thank you. We actually did have an email come in this week with some news items uh, to the new news email, news at com. If you guys have news stories, send it to me. Uh, one person already has. Sorry, Sweet. we didn't get to those stories this week. We will on the next episode. But uh, yeah, thank you. You had a couple of backlogs to get through. Yes, there. I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Um. So yeah, keep that up. Uh. Okay. Tai Chi Zero. Yeah. Zero to hero, baby. And that's what <laughs> you find out at the end of the movie. It's a two part movie. Ah. So you only get the first half. But it's basically it's it's like a steampunk version of. Uh, one of the old Kung Fu movies. It's got all the same elements in it, but it's also got like a uh, little Scott Pilgrim versus the world kind of effects, like I life meters on stuff, oh. and, uh, you know, <laughs> lots of interactive text on the screen. Right. Like when they introduce actors, they also introduce them as the actors, not just as the role they're playing. Really? So yeah, yeah. Jackie Chan's about to kick this guy's ass. All right, right, exactly. <laughs> so and so is played by Long Carfe, you know, or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's it's. It's good. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's it's a little cheesy. Yeah. But it's cheesy in a fun way. It's a fun fantasy film, you know. Is the action fairly decent? The choreography yeah, enjoyable? Yeah, it's it, it it is enjoyable. I mean, there's plenty of wire work and there's some silliness in there, but like the kid who's playing the Tai Chi Zero, he's a uh he was a wushu champion, so mm-hmm. he's got great, 
moves and aerial yeah. stuff and all that. So, Show me some moves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got some old Hong Kong stalwarts. Sammo Hung did the action choreography nice. for it. And, uh, you know, and it's it's got all the traditional elements, but it's also got this sort of weird steampunky thing where this giant railroad-laying metal turtle monster you know <laughs> drives up to chin village and they have to figure out a way to beat it before it lays track through their village and right meanwhile this kid the zero who plays uh 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 young luchan oh really yeah cool. yeah is trying to learn chin style and they refuse to teach him oh, and they nice. keep beating the shit out of him and throwing him out of the village is that really yeah he, yeah oh i like that though. and he's got the 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 triple blossom on the crown or whatever he's got this weird ward on his head that if somebody punches oh, yeah, it yeah. it turns him into a fighting demon oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see it. One of my Facebook friends, you know, that doesn't say much, but she's in this, this, some little Chinese Beijing uh, wushu chicks in it. And, and uh, so I, I, I got to see it. Yeah. No, there's, there's a, there's a couple of chicks in there that do some pretty good food too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's uh you know, it's, it's an adventure. It's a fantasy. It's not to be taken hardcore seriously at all. Right. Um, enjoyable so if, if you go into it with, that, land. with that in your head then then you'll have a good time and it's streaming on netflix so you know if you're if you're a old dad like me that doesn't get to go out very much anymore <laughs> or myself it. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna watch that movie i am so, you will not say i won't i recommend it and, and i also want to mention here uh I, we did get a couple of mentions from people that thought i was a little bit too hard on uh Oh shit! What's the name of it? I, I'm not even aware of what you're talking about here. The uh, uh, it was episode 33. The uh, Karate Kid does crack. No, no, the other one, the RZA movie, the Judo does Japanese. Oh fuck! I brought it up. And now I'm blanking the name of the damn thing. 33? No. What yeah, you... episode 33. I don't remember there being a movie even. Damn, man, you got to stop drinking during these podcasts. I don't drink, bro. You know that. Everybody talked about movies. Dude, I'm a Mormon bishop. I go samurai <laughs> style on your ass. <laughs> Look, bro, um, there's another dead bishop on the landing. Bring out your dead. What's his diocese? <laughs> what? Looks a bit bath on Welsh to me. <laughs> uh, okay. uh, well, what was it a Chinese movie? Uh, no, it was. Can we narrow Rizza. it down? It was the American Rizza. thing that had. Uh, oh fuck! Why do you keep saying Rizza? Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan. Oh, like he they bought the rights to this one and they redid the sub. No, good God Almighty! He I made a big budget. Oh Kung fuck Fu yeah! Movie. I know now what you're talking about. Uh, oh shit! Man with the Iron Fist. That's it. Fuck See, me, I can do it. that. I can you're, do that. That's you're not it. helping. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried so hard. All right, we'll try this on for size. Hey, hiya, bitches. Yeah. Hey, speaking about movies, I got something back at you. Um, if you're, I don't, I think I posted on the Facebook feed. If not, it's on my personal feed. Man of Tai Chi, which I mentioned like in the second the or third. Yeah, yeah, the official trailer's out. That's Keanu Reeves playing this, and he's like, "We're gonna take you, pure-hearted Tai Chi people, and turn you into murderous." Blah blah blah. It. The preview, some of the you know dialogue I saw, it, and I was like, okay, this sounds extremely cheesy, but the action looked pretty entertaining. So we'll see. I was, yeah, I'm a little bit. I was left a little cold by that trailer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, on top of Keanu Reeves' cigar story Indian acting, you <laughs> that was cigar story wooden. Uh, very, very wooden. Yes, I'd agree with Let that. Let the games 
big head yeah uh or whatever yeah it was like i didn't see that much i was like oh wow in the action stuff they showed either supposedly he's got some new innovative camera rig he was using and all this stuff i don't know to me it looks showed i was like "Mm, really you know to me what it seemed like was like okay you loved matrix and you loved that scene i now know kung fu and all that and it's like expand on that with real martial arts and this is what they came out of it came with that's what it seems like to me. But uh, I mean, we'll I'm see. hoping it's good. Definitely. I am too. Good. I love Keanu Reeves and I love me some karate, you know, but uh, I'll take the blue pill. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, we should probably all take a blue pill and <laughs> get rizzed up yep. on it. <clears throat> yep. Cap it before we crap it. I think we might oughta. We'll see ya. See ya!